This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host Jee Sampath. The International Monetary Fund had granted a bailout of 3 billion dollars to Sri Lanka in March this year. The IMF had imposed nine conditions for agreeing to the bailout. And next month, the global lender will conduct its first review before the next tranche of funds under the bailout are released to Sri Lanka. So, what are the conditions that Sri Lanka has had to fulfil and on which it will be evaluated? What has been the public's response to the austerity measures that the government has had to implement? Measures that are inevitable with any IMF loan. and what success has sri lanka had in restructuring its debt domestically and with other lenders such as china we discuss all these questions and more in this episode of in focus and we have with us meera shrinivasan the hindu's sri lanka correspondent meera thank you so much for joining us thank you sampath my pleasure meera so to start with i was just wondering what has been the impact of the imf bailout so far i think one tranche of funds have already come in if not more so is the economy on the mend has normalcy so to speak returned in terms of an end to shortages uh, end to the extended power cuts that we had seen because uh, you know the country had no foreign currency to pay for essential imports and so on right sampath uh, uh, so as you said you know in march this year the imf's uh, extended fund facility came through about 3 billion dollars and within sri lanka the imf bailout package was widely perceived as something that would bring relief uh, something that would restore creditors confidence in sri lanka and help the country rebuild its uh, broken economy so you asked if normalcy has since returned now the fact is there are no more queues on the roads and shortages aren't there anymore and no power cuts at least not comparable to what we saw last year and the reality something that visiting tourists would see and notice is that colombo's upmarket restaurants cafes are perpetually full malls uh, cinemas supermarkets are all teeming with people but there's another reality too um many poor people in sri lanka are eating much less and getting much less nutrition especially children so an estimated 3.9 million people uh, are said to be modestly to acutely food insecure agencies like world food program and unicef have found out so whether things are back to normal so 3.9 million means that like sri lanka has a population of say 22 that's like almost like 1/5 or 1/6 exactly yes okay so whether things are back to normal really depends on what normal means and who we are asking so um let's look at some of the macroeconomic indicators just to get the context now in july this year headline inflation decreased to 6.3% from 12% in june and the central bank was quite you know um the central bank was quite happy to note that it's back in single digits after 19 months similarly they pointed to food inflation dropping to 10.5% and said hey the crisis letting up but it's important to remember that this rate of inflation is over and above last year's record inflation remember in september 2022 food inflation had hit 95% 
So for ordinary Sri Lankans, the cost of living remains very high, while incomes and wages have remained stagnant in this period without a proportionate increase to the inflation. Another aspect that is not getting recorded enough, in my view, is the extent of joblessness since the crisis began. So official data this year showed that the first quarter saw Sri Lankan economy shrink by 11.5%, and industry specifically has contracted by 23.4%. Now, this is massive. So trade unions in Sri Lanka's garment sector, for example, are saying that 50,000 50,000 workers have lost jobs since the pandemic and through the crisis. And we also know that some 3 lakh people have left Sri Lanka last year looking for employment abroad. And we repeatedly hear of professionals, specialist doctors, nurses continuing to leave the country, seeing very little hope here in future. So in terms of foreign exchange, which you mentioned, it's hard to say there's some drastic improvement in the situation. Yes, tourism is picking up steadily, but the numbers are still not as high as in 2019 before Easter terror attacks or the pandemic years. And export revenue from tea and garments is showing positive trends. But again, they are susceptible to pressures that we are seeing in the global market now. So all this is a bit precarious for Sri Lanka. And the IMF package is about $3 billion to be dispersed over a period of four years. It's not really big money in relation to Sri Lanka's needs, but the government and its, you know, very optimistic backers say that this will help Sri Lanka borrow more in the near future. But it's neither easy nor straightforward. This is Sri Lanka's 17th IMF agreement, that too after a sovereign default. So evidently, the IMF bill hasn't worked for Sri Lanka in all these years, the last 16 times. And in fact, a few within Sri Lanka see the IMF as part of its problem and not really part of its solution. So as you said, the first tranche came in soon after the agreement was signed. And the second is expected after the review meeting you mentioned, which is scheduled next month. Right. So This is just to give you a broad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I gather from what you're saying, Mira, that the situation is pretty grim. And as you said, inflation uh, is still uh, pretty high, even though it might be in single digits because the base was uh, pretty high to start with. Then you've spoken about very high joblessness, uh, industry contracting by 23%, and, uh, and, and lots of professionals, hundreds and thousands of them, fleeing the country because they don't see a future here uh, with the economy being the way it is. Uh, not great news at all. But coming to the IMF uh, bailout, now they have uh, set some conditions for Sri Lankan government, and usually IMF conditions are never popular uh, with the people who have to sort of bear the brunt of it. So what are the conditions here? How has the government been managing it politically? Interestingly, uh, uh, Sampath, the IMF doesn't term these conditions conditions anymore. And it's often projected as Sri Lanka's own commitments. So uh, I don't know if it's also because of the increasing global awareness and maybe also criticism of IMF's own lending practices. But in any case, Sri Lanka has committed to several, uh, you know, uh, initiatives as part of this reform package. So addressing corruption vulnerabilities is one of the main aspects. What did it have to do to address corruption? I mean, what does it mean? Everybody has to become honest. Like, what are the measures uh, that the government has to take to combat corruption? Well, uh, Sri Lanka passed an anti-corruption law a couple of months ago as part of this commitment. 
but government critics don't see it as a meaningful development because president ranil wickremesinghe is backed by the rajapaksa's tainted political party in parliament and relies on their support to pass any legislation including this and we should remember that it was this party that was in power when the crisis really uh, you know aggravated and is blamed for contributing to the crisis so um, in a way people say okay what does this law even mean coming from this government with this kind of a composition and then sri lanka also has an experience of having several legislations you know there are things in the rule book but it doesn't mean that they will necessarily get implemented and sri lanka has committed to you know fiscal consolidation restoring public debt sustainability a cost effective fuel pricing mechanism which it implemented some time ago and then tax reforms a targeted social safety net and then it has also promised to restructure state owned enterprises the government is uh, currently negotiating as you said a debt treatment plan with its bilateral creditors meanwhile so it has a lot of things to do and show before it can access imf subsequent support and uh, the imf in may in a sort of cautious tone said that sri lanka was showing tentative signs of improvement following strong policy efforts so even by the imf's assessment if these signs are tentative then we know what to make of it right so you you spoke about tax reform and restructuring public enterprises so i was just wondering like is uh, does it mean personal income taxes are going to go up uh, does it mean privatization like what kind of uh, reforms are being talked about well one thing is the tax rates were restored to pre crisis levels because we know that gota berajapaksa reduced uh, taxes in a you know part of a populist move uh, around his election so that was restored but you know what is interesting is when the imf signed a staff level agreement with sri lanka in a press conference here they said sri lanka should even consider a wealth tax but now that's not a condition and there is no talk of a wealth tax in sri lanka at the moment so what we really saw was tax rates and you know indirect taxes going up to the levels that uh, existed before the crisis so that was one and in terms of state owned enterprises uh, there is a committee looking into restructuring them and there are these administrative developments but we don't see too much movement at least recently there's not been much but we heard that uh, sri lankan airlines for instance asked uh, the tata group of india whether they would be able to take over and we hear that the tatas refused because it is a loss making entity and they are already under pressure with air india so we hear these conversations but uh, really nothing uh, to say that state owned enterprises are seeing active restructuring at the moment because the political class will expect resistance on that front too right and what has been the public's reaction to this conditionalities or rather commitments which sri lanka has made uh, as as a as part of this bailout requirement so one of the uh, main uh, aspects uh, that came up recently was sri lanka's decision to restructure its domestic debt by recasting the outgo on uh, superannuation funds or people's pension savings so that has drawn quite a bit of resistance from different quarters political opposition trade unions um you know there was also a court case but later the supreme court dismissed the case but um 
that has been one issue why would it draw resistance like what does it mean that superannuation funds or what they're not going to be paid is it like what does it mean exactly no basically the interest rates uh, accruing to the superannuation funds has been drastically reduced so that means that the value of people's pension savings will shrink to that extent okay it it used to value it used to have a higher value and now because of the government's move they've you know decided to spare domestic banks of this restructure process because they don't want domestic banks to take a hit so they've only been targeted superannuation funds and i believe that this is a very very rare instance of a government exclusively targeting pension funds because you know with people's incomes really dwindling now and you know uh, cost of living continuing to be very high and utility bills going up because electricity prices water bills all have gone up so people only have their little pension saving to look forward to when they they retire and now after this move even that has shrunk in value or will shrink in value by the time they access it so this has caused a lot of resistance but in any case the government has gone ahead with it justifying the move as something that has to be done in the context of domestic debt restructuring so the other thing that we see some resistance to is the government's uh, social safety net uh targeting because a lot of groups feel they have been excluded and in fact uh, some economists and women's groups especially are campaigning for a universal social security scheme because they say that this is not the time to target so we hear that sort of concern and resistance but in general i would say that you know the largest source of resistance now are sporadic groups of trade unions and uh, student groups but you know nothing like a large scale protest but we do see small pocket protests periodically challenging the government's move also in uh, relation to labor law reform that is on the cards so these are the uh, different aspects that people are trying to challenge so you said the the resistance is from sporadic uh, uh, in sporadic events from some certain sections of the population but what about the political opposition is there i mean these are all uh, like red button topics which the opposition could use to attack the government is there any kind of a political opposition at play at all or they are all sort of closed ranks because the country is in crisis and so on well the main opposition parties uh, uh, sajid premadas the leader of opposition and then the jvp and its leader anura kumar desnayaka have been quite vocal in challenging the government especially on the epf etf uh, move because that really impacts a lot of people but in general uh, the perception within sri lanka is that the opposition could be more assertive vocal and focused when it takes on the government there's that criticism of the opposition that we periodically hear and the the other is that what is their alternative if they're going to keep attacking these policies do they have something better to offer and uh, more interestingly i think the main uh, opposition party the samagi janabalavegya in principle does not oppose the imf program at all it believes that the imf program is necessary crucial for sri lanka so there is no skepticism there they only target specific policy measures of the government to say that this will impact the people but the general perception is that the opposition is not assertive enough right now moving on to the other big uh, geopolitical player in this region china china we know is one of the major creditors in the play 
and uh, they have i think they are count for maybe i don't know 15 to 20% of china sri lanka's debt but they have not joined the creditors a platform for restructuring the debt and so on so why hasn't it joined is it playing hardball like what is the general uh, thinking in sri lanka yes so bilateral debt negotiation is a crucial element of sri lanka's recovery plan and imf team as you said is scheduled to visit next month for a review and its second second tranche is going to be contingent on whether sri lanka has a clear debt treatment plan with its bilateral lenders so in may this year 17 countries that have extended loans to sri lanka formed an official creditor committee co-chaired by india japan as a member of the paris club and france to discuss sri lanka's debt treatment plan which means they have to agree uh, on you know either a moratorium or a longer term repayment or a reduced interest rate or a combination of these it could whatever the arrangement that can be mutually agreed upon for this debt treatment now china has attended these meetings of this forum as an observer and although india and japan are keen that china join the platform as a member because they have been underscoring uh, creditor parity all through this time china has clearly stated that it wishes to stay out of the common platform so this complicates the exercise for sri lanka because um other creditors are repeatedly saying we all have to be treated equally and we need transparency in the negotiation of these terms and so on so uh, private creditors uh, holding the international sovereign bonds have the largest share of sri lanka's foreign debt but china is the island's biggest bilateral lender followed by japan and india so now we know that uh, you know during uh, prime minister dinesh kunawardena's visit to china this week uh, china's uh, top diplomat uh, wang yi who's also back as foreign minister has said that china will help sri lanka effectively address the challenges of financial debt and china will help sri lanka improve its capacity for independent development and to exit the poverty trap and trap of non development and accelerate industrialization and so on but we see no direct commitment to this debt treatment yet but what this means for sri lanka is more important because on the one hand you have the imf and then this creditors platform with you know the west japan and india and on the other you have china and clearly the geopolitics of this dynamic is uh, uh, very easy to see and with china refusing to join this platform which it sees as something that the imf and the west and india back it's sri lanka that is caught in between it is sri lanka that you know in a way is like collateral between these powers deciding what sri lanka's course should be so it's a very very challenging time although sri lanka has expressed confidence that china will independently negotiate with them and um, that sri lanka will ensure transparency and creditor parity regardless of what these individual actors may say so sri lanka has expressed a lot of confidence but we should wait and see whether it's able to uh, you know convince all these parties uh, of its uh, program right so 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 are you saying mira in effect that uh, before that meeting sri lanka would have to show uh, the aim of it it has done some kind of uh, negotiation or restructuring of its Uh, lending uh, of its of its borrowing from china is it is it part of the requirement from the imf to be able to sort of give out the next tranche so that you know it's not like sri lanka is doing something else that could uh, undermine uh, the equal treatment of all creditors with china 
Yes, I think the IMF uh, uh, has conveyed that, and I think the IMF also believes uh, that Sri Lanka is on board uh, in ensuring this uh, creditor uh, equity and uh, uh, transparency. But it's difficult to say. Initially, we heard that the second tranche is going to be contingent on arriving at such an agreement with bilateral lenders. But now that the negotiations are dragging, we are not sure whether Sri Lanka will be able to tell the IMF or convince the IMF that, look, this is going on and we are sure to uh, achieve some sort of understanding soon. So meanwhile, send us our second tranche. I don't know how this is going to pan out. We have to see what the IMF team says after its review. Right. Now, there are also media reports that uh, Chinese oil major Sinopec is going to start operations in Sri Lanka from next month and will be allowed to sell fuel for less than the maximum uh, retail price. Now, is this uh, a measure undertaken by China with a view to, say, lower the pressure on China, uh, Sri Lanka's foreign reserves? Well, I'm just trying to understand what exactly does China want in its negotiations uh, with Sri Lanka over the debt restructuring? What is it playing at that Sri Lanka uh, may or may not be able to offer? Yeah, on the one hand, Sri Lanka has these big debt negotiations to carry out with all the powerful bilateral lenders and these uh, partners. At another level, Sri Lanka has been fairly successful in negotiating and establishing sector-wise collaborations with different bilateral partners. For example, uh, I see the Sinopec development in that light because in March, Sri Lanka decided to award licenses to three global oil companies to operate in the domestic retail market as part of its efforts to restructure the state-owned Ceylon Petroleum Corporation. So they've essentially opened up the retail market to China's Sinopec, then United Petroleum from Australia and RM Parks USA, uh, which is in collaboration with Shell. And as we know, Lanka IOC is already in Sri Lanka and an important player in the retail market. So um, while these individual collaborations targeting certain specific sectors uh, are ongoing, I think the real challenge is for Sri Lanka to be able to negotiate a bilateral loan that too in terms that are not very harsh on Sri Lanka, but agreeable to all the lenders who are insisting that they all be treated equally and in a transparent way. So to achieve that would be the hardest part at this time, especially because this IMF review is uh, scheduled next month. And we know what the IMF thinks of the bilateral debt negotiations once the review is over. Right. So uh, from what you're saying, Mira, I gather that the biggest challenge right now for uh, Sri Lanka, apart from, of course, uh, managing uh, the requirements of the population uh, in terms of jobs and so on, which continue, uh, is uh, the bilateral debt negotiations uh, with other countries and China, especially. I think China's money is also sort of locked into many of these infrastructure projects which have not been generating uh, revenue. Uh, which cannot be uh, really great for the economy either. And uh, anything else you want to add on this uh, infrastructure projects, Mira, uh, where China China's uh, money is sort of tied up? Sure. Now, uh, one of the things we often hear is about these big ticket infrastructure projects where China has put in a lot of money, the Hambantota port, Colombo port city, and so on. But um, what we also hear from those who are 
in the know of how these debt negotiations happen is that the countries are having a difficulty even in agreeing on which debt to restructure like what is the amount is it going to be agreeable to both parties that this is the amount that will in fact be restructure which kind of loans are we going to take for immediate restructuring which kind of loans will be untouched so um, i think it's a very very complicated exercise with a lot of number crunching and paperwork but in principle it would also mean that uh, you know bilateral lenders are not making it easy for sri lanka regardless of who it is i think uh, yes it, it was important that india japan gave financing assurances which led to the imf agreement and then china is independently pledging support at Uh, you know every meeting with a sri lankan leader but what it all means for sri lanka we will have to wait and see because um, it's not uh, you know easy for sri lanka to set the terms of this agreement but it will have to do that to qualify for greater support from the imf so it's a very very uh, challenging phase for sri lanka and uh, as you said this is at one level at the government level at the macroeconomic level but for average sri lankans for ordinary people for the poor it's excruciating just not being able to eat enough not being able to send children to school because they can't afford transport costs uh, households losing electricity connection because they can no longer keep up with the bill which has you know gone up threefold in many households so it's it's a very very challenging year for sri lanka and uh, you know to say that the crisis has let up there are no more queues would be very naive and very uh, disingenuous because the crisis is still unfolding and we are seeing the impact of the crisis on the ground every day so um, whoever is in power in sri lanka has a very difficult task and next year the country will face uh, general elections and presidential elections so that will bring about its own set of pressures on the political class we have to wait and see what that means to uh, the people right i think the really tough times for the country right now as you sort of very nicely summed up at the level of the people of course uh, the power tariffs are going up there is joblessness professionals are fleeing and you also i think it needs to be mentioned that while uh, a huge chunk of the population is struggling to sort of eat enough at the same time there are pubs of full you know the high uh, high end retail outlets are doing well and malls are full and so on so there is clearly a widening disparity higher inequality which is also happening and at the same time the government is struggling to sort of negotiate with its bilateral lenders and restructure its debt on time for the imf's next tranche of money thank you so much meera for joining us and for taking us through the crisis that is still unfolding in sri lanka one year more than one year after its sovereign default thank you so much for joining us thank you sampath in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon